uh-uh, they don't. I will never forget when I was just a young guy and Jerry and I got married. And I was, I, I, I was struggling financially. We had a car and I, I got down really low in, in fuel and didn't have any money to put any in. I was praying, Lord, make this car keep going. It left me on the side of the road one day. And that's what happens if you don't put something in the tank after a while. You know what I mean? Amen. You don't adre- address the objections. You can say, praise God, I believe all you want. You're not hearing what I'm saying, are you? Am I talking to the same CT I've always talked to? You have to address the objections, the things that cause doubt to occur. So I'm giving you some scientific data and information right now that might be more on the knowledge side of the spectrum than the emotional side of the spectrum. But if I do this, this will allow your emotions to become engaged and you to feel like you're putting your faith in the right person and in the right place and in the right things. That in turn will cause you to engage your psychomotor skills or to say it another way, it will begin to show up in your daily life. But if I don't deal with this material I'm dealing with, I feel like that, you know, you, you can only, you know, try to have faith where there is doubt For so long. You're going to have to address some issues. So I've been talking from Proverbs. I love this. Proverbs 4 verses 20 through 22. We've put it up there week after week now. Where God says that his teachings. His word. In verse number 22. It says our health. uh, To all those who find. Their life to all those who find them. And health to all their flesh. And I've shown you that this word health. In verse 22 is the Hebrew word morpe that means a prescription. Look at it like this. God is saying this is, uh, have you ever heard of a broad-spectrum antibiotic? A broad-spectrum antibiotic is one that you can take for many different kinds of infections. At the same time that God's Word is a broad-spectrum antibiotic, it's very specific and directed. Let me explain what I mean. That is... This word of God is so powerful that whatever your need is, it's in there. And then whatever you're walking through, you're going to find an answer for it in the word. God is saying that my word is both CVS and Walgreens rolled together. (laughs) Amen. Into one. And that's why this word is used here in the Hebrew that literally means a prescription. We've also been talking from Mark 9 where Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, <clears throat> the most impacting of all of the experiences as he's, that he's had in his ministry. He's been transfigured whiter than the sun. His garment glistens. And as he comes down from this experience, a distraught, forlorn father brings to Jesus his scarred, hideously disfigured boy and says, I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't cast the spirit out. Of him, if you can do anything, please help us. And Jesus' response is, if I can. And he said, all things are possible for him who believes, to him who believes. And the man said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Say that with me. Help thou mine unbelief. Okay. Now, what I'm talking about today is are things that will help you when you struggle with your unbelief. The last couple of Sundays I talked about, is God real? Amen. 
And I gave you some things to consider that will make you feel more comfortable when somebody gets in your face and says, how do you know God's real? There's no scientific evidence. I've given you some things. Now you can look right back at them and know how to answer them. Now I want to talk to you about another thing that, that weakens our faith. And that is the constant teaching of a theory that has somehow morphed in people's minds into fact. That is evolution. My subject today and next week, evolution or creation, which is the truth. How did you and I get here? You say, why is that important? It's because, again, if I can make you doubt that there is a creator, make you doubt that we were divinely created, what I've just done is destroyed your trust in the Bible. It's a short step from that to making you doubt anything else the Bible teaches. There is an agenda that the enemy has embraced. He wants you not to put your faith in the Word of God. But having said that, listen to this. Do you know that after all of these years of teaching evolution is a fact, 90% of Americans still question and do not fully accept Darwin's theory of evolution. 90% of Americans. And in some other places in the world, the percentages are even higher. They reject Darwin's teaching of evolution. Most believe in environmental adaptation, or what you might call environmental evolution, within a species. That is, a species can make modifications and adjust itself to the environmental conditions in which it lives. I'll give you an example of that. All of us, we are taught, come from one central group of ancestors in Africa. In fact, I've met Richard Leakey, the son of Dr. Leakey, I forgot his name, and, and Dr. Mary Leakey, the two anthropologists in Kenya that discovered what they call Lucy, which is the earliest human remains or something. I, I met Dr. Richard Leakey. I've talked to him, their son, and um, I visited with him at length. And you need to know this that they claim that all human beings share a common DNA beginning and that it comes out of Africa, which is what the Bible teaches. Maybe not that part of Africa, but a part of Africa. And as you know, if you live near the equator, the skin is likely to be more dark because in the five layers of your skin, you have more melanin, which protects you from the sun. As people migrated and the population grew and they moved into the northern part of Europe like Scandinavia where for two months out of the winter, sun doesn't even shine at all, there was no need for that much melanin in skin and so people became more fair-skinned there. At the equator, your, eye, your pupils needed to be darker to be able to absorb the intensity of the light. In the northern regions, they needed to be lighter in color to absorb more. That's environmental adaptation. But what did not happen is we didn't morph from one species into another. We're still human beings. Am I anybody getting my, my point here? There is not a single documented case. There is no fossil record of even one creature that is morphed from one species into another, which is what Darwin taught. If Darwin had said the origin of the species... That would have been okay. But he said the origin of the species, meaning we all have one common origin. And that's what we take exception to. He would have us believe we all came from one 
central beginning. Amen. People know instinctively that this is not true. The world is too complex for everything to have just evolved the way it is. I've taught you about that. Many scientists, as molecular biology has exploded, and their ability to see inside things like cells, for example. Darwin thought a cell was just basically a little spot or glob of, of protoplasm, gel, like a, a gelatinous substance. They've now discovered that cells are incredibly, incredibly complex. That one cell may be more complex than the whole universe we live in. It's a nanofactory, one cell of your body. And now scientists, as they've been a, as research has gone further into this molecular biology and, and cellular biology, more and more scientists are rejecting Darwinism every single day. And they're saying there's no way we could have evolved. The world could have been here a billion times longer than what they say it is, and it still would not have been time for all these mutations to occur where we could change from one thing to another to another, as Darwin postulated. Amen. And so many of these scientists are under the gun because it has become exceedingly unpopular to take a position that is not embracing the theory of evolution. Some of them have lost their jobs, and it doesn't matter. They're standing firm and saying science never starts out with a preconceived idea or presupposition of where it's going. It's supposed to be open to whatever facts are there. And the facts are that Darwinism can no longer be supported. Now, speaking of unemployed scientists, did you hear about the unemployed biology professor? Joke, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say joke. Unemployed biology professor went to the employment agency and they said, well, the only thing we've got is they need somebody at the zoo. So he went to the zoo and he said, the employment office sent me here. I'm an unemployed biology professor. They said, well, we do have an opening. They said the gorilla passed away and he was hugely popular and drew a lot of people in. We need somebody to dress up in a gorilla suit and play the role of the gorilla until we can get enough funding to buy another one. And so the guy thought, well, it's a little beneath my dignity, but I'll give it a try. So he dressed up, and he got out there, and the crowd cheered and roared. He got to where he was enjoying this, man. I mean, he's out there beating on his chest, and, and boy, they were cheering and clapping, and he started swinging from the trees and doing acrobatics, and man, they were loving it. And he got carried away and really, you know, was trying to outdo himself, and one of his acrobatic trips didn't... Uh, tri uh, tricks didn't work and he flew through the netting and fell into the lion cage right next to the gorilla pit and he lay there stunned on his back and looked up and realized where he was and the lion roared Rawr! and the, the guy in the gorilla suit started screaming help help somebody come save me and the lion jumped down and ran over and put both his paws on his chest and said you better be quiet we're going to both lose our jobs <laughs> It's got to where you don't know what to believe. You know what I'm saying? You, you don't know who to listen to. And people are afraid to speak up or they're going to lose their job. Professors, teachers. But listen to me. It really is something that we need to consider here. And so I'm talking about it. The argument of intelligent design that we spoke of 
over the couple of Sundays we were talking about the existence of God explains two things. It explains why God is real and it explains why evolution couldn't possibly be the way life came into being. The world is too complicated and intelligent design dictates that there must have been a designer. And if that is the case, then how could something so complex have evolved without his participation? It's obvious and the only logical conclusion we can draw is that an intelligent designer designed this. It didn't happen by random selection. Survival of the fittest, as Darwin would have us believe. Now, here's what I need you to know. When I use these words like intelligent design, I need you to understand this teaching is not new. The greatest minds of the ages have embraced what I'm telling you right now. You would hear people say, oh, that's just religion trying to defend, uh, defend themselves, and they're coming up with this, this last-minute, last-ditch effort to defend what is indefensible, and this intelligent design thing, you know, it's going to be swept under the rug. It would be overcome by scientific data. No, this has been around a long time, and it's not last minute either. Plato, in 427 to 347 B.C., the student of Socrates said that two things lead men to believe in the gods, one based on the soul and the other from the order of the motion of the stars and all the things under the domination of the mind the mind which ordered the universe. This goes all the way back to Plato. His greatest student, Aristotle, 384 through 322 B.C., argued from the order in the stars that there must be what he called a first unmoved mover, which is God, a living, intelligent, incorporeal, eternal, and most good being who is the source of order in the cosmos. This was before Jesus was born. They were arguing this world is too complex. They have just gotten here. Cicero, one of the Roman Empire's greatest philosophers, statesmen, and orators, 106 to 43 B.C., again before Christ was born, opposed Epicurus, who taught that everything was formed by the chance colliding of particles. Cicero said that this was like believing that if the letters of the alphabet were thrown on the ground often enough, they would spell out the annals of Ennius. Now, the annals of Ennius were the compilation of writings of one of their greatest poets and scholars, one of their most prolific. He's saying, listen to this guy. He said, that's like throwing all the letters up in the air and expecting them to fall down on the ground in the published works of Ennius, the poet and philosopher. They, they could see through that. You're not just the only one smart enough to realize this doesn't add up. Men through the ages have taken this position. And also, Cicero asked, if particles colliding could make a world, why couldn't they build much less difficult op op uh, objects like a colonnade, a temple, a house, or a city that nobody doubts were designed? That's what Cicero said. They can build something this complex. Why don't we see them just build a, 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 a simple column once in a while? You see, some of this stuff that, that you're being taught as, as, that is being represented as fact from long before the time of Christ has been questioned. Thomas Aquinas, one of the greatest of all of the minds of the church in 1225 through 1275 A.D., said, Whatever lacks knowledge cannot move toward an end unless it is directed by some being endowed with knowledge and intelligence. That if you don't have a mind, you can't go toward a specific end. You'll just wander aimlessly. As the arrow is directed by the archer, he said, you need an intelligent mind to do the directing. 
Therefore, some intelligent being exists by whom all natural things are directed to their end. And this being, he said, we call God. What he's saying is, look at this world. It couldn't have gotten here by itself. It had to be directed. Not only that, Sir Isaac Newton, 1642-1727, regarded as the greatest scientist who has ever lived, wrote the most beautiful system of the sun. This most beautiful system of the sun planted our planets, it should say, and comments, com- uh, comments could only proceed from the counsel and domination of an intelligent being. Robert changed that word right there. It should be planets, and that, that predictive spelling uh, cha- uh, made a mistake there for me. You ever have that happen on your phone? I hate it. Amen. He said, there's only one thing that could have made all of this. That's an intelligent being. Arthur Wilder Smith. 1915 through 1995, with three earned doctorates in science, argued against Darwinism on these very design grounds that I'm describing. It's too complex for it to just have evolved. Now watch. Something happened along the way, though. All of these years, men have looked and said, this is just too complex. But something happened in the last century. I think it's described in Romans 1, 19 through 22. Since what we may may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although, watch it now, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. This is supposed to be the most educated generation of life that has ever lived among human beings on this planet in our whole accumulated history. Yet Paul described them as reaching a time whenever they thought they were so smart that they became stupid. Every generation that has lived before, quoting from all of these scholars that I have mentioned, looked at the complexity of the earth and said, there's no way in the universe this could have just gotten here. Well, what I want you to know is once again, the pendulum after having gone the wrong way for so long is now swinging back the right direction. As I said, as they get more involved in molecular biology, scientists are rejecting atheism right and left. I mean, they are turning their back on it. People that were profound atheists have discovered such incredible wonders in the tiny human cells or the tiny cells of the human body and other creatures they say could only be attributed to some kind of a divine creator. For example, on December 2004, renowned British philosopher Anthony Flew announced that he had repudiated a lifelong commitment to atheism, citing, among other factors, evidence of intelligent design in the DNA molecule. As you know, they've recently mapped the human genome. And when they did, the the results were so startling. They said, there's no way this can be anything but God, as I'm going to show you. Okay, let's move on. He's not the only one. Now a full 40% of American scientists openly defy the system and say, we believe in a God instead of evolution. 40%. What you need to know is the pendulum is swinging our way again. Somebody in the building say amen. Come on, give God some praise right now. You say, 
But all of this stuff, man, I want to hear you preach something. I'm going to give you a reason to believe in your Bible in just a little bit. The first problem with evolution is the problem that I talked about with believing there was no creator. It's a problem of irreducible complexity. I spoke about that when I asked, is God real or not? Biochemist Dr. Michael Behay, born 1952 through the present, still living, has written extensively about the irreducible complexity of life systems that because of their specified complexity argue the need of a creator. Specified complexity means that it was obviously specified to be a certain way by a specifier. Watch, now I'm going to show you all of this. Irreducible complexity is defined as a single system like a circulatory system, nervous system, uh, digestive system, other things, which is composed of several interacting parts, your circulatory system, your heart, your veins, your arteries, all of these things, the exchange of, of blood and therefore uh, oxygen and through the lungs, the pulmonary artery, all of these things, circulatory system, different parts of interacting parts that contribute to the basic function and where the removal of any one of those parts causes the system to cease functioning. For example, if you have no pulmonary artery, you can't live. You see where I'm coming from. You will end up dying. Then this is his book, by the way, Darwin's Black Box, that was published if you want to do the research yourself. Behe argues that we are constantly assuming the existence of a designer when we encounter specified design in other areas. Design of something that obviously was specified to be a certain way. For example, he says, suppose you come to an isolated beach and you find an elaborate sandcastle, okay? Turrets, walls, whole thing, and there's not a soul in, around anywhere. Do you automatically think that, mm, man, look what the wind and the waves did here? No, you say somebody must have been here and made this thing and gone before I got here. He said, if you can assume that about something as simple as a sandcastle, how can you believe anything less about something so complex as the human body, which is a billion times more complex than any sandcastle? All of science, he argues, accepts this premise and everything else they do. They assume this. It, rather, it's criminal investigation. Rather, it's scientific research, medical research. Everybody, when they see certain patterns, they assume that this pattern is there for a reason. Either this is the way this thing functions, and therefore, like a bacteria, this, this pattern is there. This is how this, this bacteria grows. We can now develop a vaccine or maybe a medicine to either prevent it or cure it. But if it's constantly at random just doing its own thing, no medicine would ever work for anybody on any particular subject. Behe asked, why can't we accept the fact of a designer when it comes to creation when we can accept the fact that, that less complex things obviously had specified design? For example, watch this. If we find random letters strewn across the floor, such as W-V-D-M-A-L-P-R-F-Z-N-V-G-L-A-E-M-Z-Q-R-I-B-X-K-D-U, that's 26 letters right there, just random. You can look at those and tell they're random. They don't spell anything. They don't have any particular rhyme or reason for being that way. And so, you, just, you know, you can look at it and say, hmm, that's just there by coincidence. But if you find these letters on the floor, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, 
H-I-J-K elemental P. Q-R-S-T-U-V-W-X-Y-Z. Now I've said my ABCs. Tell me what you think of me. (laughs) If you find those letters on the floor, you don't say that's random. You automatically assume somebody put them in that order. Am I right? Don't you? Any scientist would assume the same thing. But when it comes to evolution, it's like they leave their brain at the door. Now, he says, suppose you find these letters on the floor. A, A, B, B, C, C, D, D, E, E, F, F, G, G, H, H, I, I, J, J, right on through. Every letter is doubled. Not only would you accept A, B, C, D, E, F, G is not there by random selection. If you find double letters, you know that's not there by by accident. And the reason that this is a good analogy is because there are 26 letters in the alphabet, but you have 23 chromosomes in your body that make up your DNA. that are arranged in, in doubles throughout your DNA system, okay? And now, now watch this. So that's actually a pretty fair representation. 26 letters of the alphabet, it, that's 26 pairs. You have 23 pairs of chromosomes in your body. Amen. They're arranged in different combinations. Now, did you know that these 23 pairs are arranged in, listen to this, you got to get this, that they total 3.14 billion base pairs, these 23 chromosomes and pairs. In every human being, you have 3.14 billion pairs. That's the combination of, and most of, the, and, and most of them are diploid, meaning they each have two sets of chromosomes. So in other words, you don't have 3 billion you really have 6,280,000,000 pairs of chromosomes in your body precisely arranged like AABBCCDD. Now, if you can't accept that AABBCCDD on the floor is random, how can you accept 6 billion as being random? Because that's what it takes to make you who you are. Amen. Listen to this. You say, well, we might be the most uh, complex form of life. That, that's, that's why there's so many other things didn't have as many. And eventually, over time, they evolved to us. Oh, really? Well, first of all, we're not even the most complex form of life in terms of the, the uh, DNA structure. For example, the South American marbled lungfish has a total of 133 billion base pairs. Not 6 billion, 133 billion. Its DNA is more complex than that of a human being. And the least complex, the smallest genome discovered to date is from a symbiotic insect bacteria. That is a bacteria on an, in, uh, the, on an insect. And it's clocking in at a mere 159,662 base pairs. Now, what you would have to do if this was random, you would have to throw your dice and land double sevens 159,662 times just to create the most simple form of life that they found yet. You still want to believe in evolution? You think you can do that? Let me tell you this. I will buy your ticket to go to Vegas. (laughs) If you can throw the dice 159,662 times and get sevens every time, it's not even a sin for you. I will buy you a (laughs) first-class ticket. We need the building program, you know. 
I, I will see to it. I will even, I will, I will comp your hotel even. But you say, that's foolish. We can't believe that. I can't roll the dice that many times. What makes you think that nature could? Just to create a symbiotic bacteria on an insect, which is the smallest genome they've found thus far. Not only that, we can also tell the difference between a message written in the sand and patterns that are the result of wind or wave actions as opposed to something created by other people. For example, we've all seen unusually shaped rock formations that loosely resemble a head that was carved by wind erosion or a balanced rock, say, in the Garden of the Gods in, in, in Colorado, one of those arches that were formed by wind erosion. How many of you have ever looked up at the, the sky and saw a cloud and it looked like a bear or, or some other animal and it was made to look that way by the wind currents at the higher altitudes? Nobody looks at that and say, look, there's an animal evolving. Because you know that that is the result of the impact of the wind. However, if you go to visit Mount Rushmore and you see the four heads of the president's, Nobody said, look what the wind did. <laughs> Why? Why don't you say that? Because you know it's so complex that that's not like wind erosion in Garden of the Gods in Colorado. It's not like a cloud that has an unusual shape. You clearly understand somebody's hand was involved in creating that. That is called specific complexity. Amen. Somebody in the building say amen right now. All medicines were developed. All of the, the scientific programs that work were developed upon this understanding. It's trying something, predicting how it will happen, and then seeing that it replicates this pattern, and then you know it, it, this, you're on the right track. Okay? And so what is the significance of this? When you look at the human being, we are infinitely more complex than the four carvings on Mount Rushmore. As I pointed out to you, six billion and 200 and some odd thousand, or million rather, basic genetic pairs in our makeup formed in that double helix structure that you've read about. All of that shooting right over your head and some of this doesn't even appeal to you because I'm talking, like I said, about so much of this stuff that is knowledge-based. But you know why I'm talking about it? Because you'll go sit in a classroom and listen to some professor talk about, oh, how we got here, you know, and Darwin's theory and all of this. And you don't have anything to say. Oh, he's got an education. He's smarter than we are. He knows what he's talking about. Next thing you know, you're doubting the very word of God. And this is what happens to our kids when we send them away to university. And they come back with a lack of faith. We wonder where their commitment went. It's because we never answered the questions and gave them the information they needed. I don't expect you to retain all of this. All I want you to know is that the next time you hear somebody act like he knows a whole lot, just let him know there are other people that know as much as he does that don't agree with him. Amen. Somebody in the building say hallelujah. An example of specified complexity that results in irreducible complexity. Remember, specified complexity, it was specified to be this way by a specifier, a cause, agent, that's God. Irreducible complexity means that if you take anything out of it, the whole system will break down. One of the proofs that we could not have all evolved is, is the number of creatures that use echolocation to find their prey to survive. Some of them are completely blind, like the bat. Others of them, 
not as much, like the whale, the dolphin. But they use echolocation to find their prey. They have an ability to send out a sound. They have a cavity inside of their head, the dolphins and the whales do. And they send a signal out that resonates and goes out like sonar under the water. The bat makes this screech and sends out this high-pitched sound that you can't even hear. And it, when it hits its object, that, that is food, it bounces back. And the animal, whether it's the bat or the whale, the dolphin or the others, they have highly developed and very sensitive organisms or rather organs in their body that, that receive these signals. And they are so complex that they can tell how big the object is, the shape of the object. They can tell how fast it's moving. They can tell which direction it's going in. In the case of dolphins, the Navy's actually training them to learn to recognize things like bombs and mines put on the side of ships and some of their projects because they send out this signal and they can tell. They, they know what it is. It's, it's unbelievable how sensitive they are. Here's the problem with all of this. These echoes, as I said, are read by highly sensitized and specialized organs. How did they survive during the evolutionary process when these things were developing? Oh, you're missing the point. Bats are blind. They can't see food. So they haven't yet developed a signal to send out, but they're growing. And you know, in a few million more years, we will, we will have reached a level we will be able to send the signal out. I got news for you, baby. You're not going to survive if you don't eat for a few million years. You see what I'm talking about? Some of it just doesn't, simply doesn't add up. And when questioned about this, listen what Dr. Mark Springer, an evolutionary biologist at the University of California, had to say. And he is an evolutionist. He said that speaking of bats, the oldest fossils of bats are not much different than the bats that exist today. They have found no evidence that these things evolved. And so they have a problem. If everything evolved then how did things survive? Because like the circulatory system, okay, that I talked about a while ago, arteries, you know, veins, left and right ventricle, and, and the atriums and all of this, what happens if your heart hasn't evolved yet? Huh. You're not going to be around real long. That's what I can tell you. And this is the point that I'm making about life. Remove any one of those things from the complex system and the whole system itself falls apart and breaks down. Another one that science has pointed out that they can't wrap their mind around is something as simple as blood clotting. Blood clotting is one of the biggest arguments against Darwinism. You say, how can that possibly be? Because actually, this little simple process of blood clotting is made up of a 16-step process. 16 steps. Your body, is, your body is, well, like David said, the psalmist said, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. 16 steps cause your blood to coagulate when you are wounded. It may seem very simple, but it requires different components acting together in what is called the clotting cascade, and they must do it with exact precision. If we have any doctors or nurses here in our room, they can tell you. So my question is, what happened during the evolutionary process before these things were fully developed? Science says that if there was no clotting mechanism, no life could have survived beyond the one cell stage. Remember, it was a rough, cruel world and still is. Struggle for, the, for, for survival, you know? Fight uh, 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 of the, uh, 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 for life and all of that. Struggle for 
uh, the survival of the fittest. And there were no H-E-Bs or food towns to go buy Kroger's to buy your groceries at. Uh-uh. Animals competed. They got injured in the environment they were in. And science says there would not be any that would have survived. Simply because of the fact that all of these millions of years required to create a clotting mechanism, the clotting cascade, they said we wouldn't have lived to see it. And David Noonan writes about the clotting process. Dr. David Noonan, as the earliest living organisms, and he is an evolutionist, as they evolve from single cells to more complex forms, they develop circulatory systems to supply oxygen and other vital nutrients to their multicelled bodies. Without a clotting response, and this is his problem, to protect against injury, these circulatory systems would not have been able to prevent fatal leaks, and evolution as we know it would have been impossible, and only the simplest forms of life such as algae and bacteria would exist right now. That ought to make somebody in this room shout, because what it means is your clotting mechanism could not have evolved, you would not have survived it. Human life would not exist. Not only that, there wouldn't be any life above single-cell organisms. And so that means that we didn't get here because lightning struck some primordial ooze somewhere. And out of it crawled this one-celled microorganism that grew feet and hands and a tail. No, 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 no. Oh, you wouldn't have survived to get here. I want to tell you how you arrived. In the beginning, God reached down and took man from the dust of the earth. And made him in his image. And made him as a complete individual. Whole. It's the only way that we could have survived the process. As proof of that, look at the hemophiliac. If you've ever known someone with hemophilia, there was a time hemophiliacs did not survive. But as medicine has improved, they've been able to treat hemophilia on a case-by-case basis as injury occurs. What is hemophilia? One of those 16 steps is either missing or the chemical involved in it is produced in insignificant qualities in the Bible that are not adi- in, the, in the body that are not adequate to meet the need of injury. It's called the Stewart factor. Ask any doctor. And because the Stewart factor is absent, if a hemophiliac gets injured, cuts his toenail off in the quick, gets scraped, scratched, You know, a branch falls and scratches his arm. He'll bleed out and die. The slightest injury can become a life-threatening proposition. And he's got to go to the emergency room. And there, they administer clotting agents that his body is not producing on its own. That for some reason, he has an inability to produce. Well, this is the question. If a hemophiliac could not survive without this, what did all of life do without this? Because guess what? They didn't have any emergency rooms a billion years ago where you could go as a microorganism or as a little animal and say, here, I need some Stuart factor. Hurry, please. I'm bleeding out right now. And when you stop and think about it, you realize it's ridiculous to believe that life could have persisted, which is why today you cannot hardly find anywhere a cellular biologist that doesn't believe in divine creation. We were brought here by God. There's no way we could have evolved. Molecular biologists overwhelmingly now 
reject the idea of Darwin's theory. They've even written books. Some of them that were atheists have written books like the signature is in the sale. I've got the book. All of these books that are now being published, the pendulum is swinging back our way. Why is that important? Because somebody tried to brainwash us and our children and tell us they knew more than God's word did. And if they could make us leave the word of God, then we end up leaving God before the whole journey is over. This is why people like Richard Dawkins, for example, whenever you push him, the God delusion, yeah, the author of the God delusion, he sold millions of books. Richard Dawkins, who is a firm atheist, doesn't believe in God of any kind. When pushed, ask, how did we get here with these finely tuned Microorgan, uh, uh, with these finely tuned uh, organic structures within our body and molecular structures. You know what he's, when he's pushed against the wall, what he says? Listen, I won't tell you what he says. Well, we were probably seated here by aliens. <laughs> these supposedly brilliant minds, in becoming wise, they became fools. That's what the Bible said. Now, which would you rather believe, that God brought you here or that an alien brought you here? (laughs) Amen. Now, speaking in reference to Richard Dawkins, he looks like an alien may have brought him here. I don't know. (laughs) Look at him. No disrespect, but just look at him. One of the most arrogant men I've ever in my life listened to speak, Richard Dawkins. You know what his final word is when you push him against the wall? Well, if you don't believe what I believe, you're stupid. (laughs) I thought we outgrew that argument when we were kids. If that's the best you can say and you're a scientist, that if I still believe in God, I'm stupid. If I don't accept what you have to say just because you have to say it, and you believe in aliens. Cuckoo, 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 cuckoo. You know, I'm sorry. I'm going to make a little fun here this morning. If that offends you, forgive me in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) Praise God. But listen, they don't mind making fun of us. And so a small injury becomes a medical emergency, a life or death situation. And molecular biologists say no life could have survived beyond the one cell dimension. And so the evolutionary process could not have worked. So what does it mean? I want to break it down and I conclude with this, the life application points. Wait a next week. I'm going to shake you up with some things I want to show you. Amen. Because I want to show you what all of this eventually leads to if you embrace it. And you don't question it. But let's, let's stop here for now. And I just want to simply ask you, how do you apply this to your life? Number one, understand that regardless of what some are saying, there really is a creator and he is the Lord God Almighty. Amen. Make no mistake about it. You are not wrong to have put your trust in God. I don't care how many degrees somebody has because there are just as as many now that have degrees that are just as advanced and some more that are now arguing there had to be a creator. Don't you be swayed by those who in their dying throes are embracing a theory that no longer has credibility. Don't you, don't you be moved by that and shaken and, and, and allow that to make your confidence in the existence of God be diminished. There is a creator. 
You're here because he made you. And that's the second thing I want you to do in terms of life application points with what I'm teaching right now is you need to understand this. Understand and realize that he made you for his glory. There is a creator and you were created by God for his glory. Can somebody in the building shout hallelujah? Not only did you did not get here, not only did you just not arrive by accident, God brought you here and he has a purpose for your life. And you see, that's one of the major problems with Darwinianism is that if you believe you just evolved, you don't have any purpose for your life. There is no purpose bigger than you are. You just do whatever you want to do in life and it doesn't really matter. But if there is a God, I want to tell you something. He doesn't make stuff unless he has a reason for making it. And he had a reason for making you. And as I've said before, maybe your circumstances in getting here were not the best in the world. You know, some born out of wedlock and other circumstances. Maybe you didn't get here on the right bus, but he wanted you here. He has a purpose for your life. Can I hear somebody in the building say amen? Not only should you understand there is a creator, and he is the Lord God Almighty, and not only should you realize that you as an individual, were specifically made to bring him glory, then you should also, number three, believe the Bible. Don't be afraid to put your trust in the word of Almighty God. And don't allow your faith to be shaken by those who claim they know more than the Bible does. Because you're hearing people say this is a book of fables these days. I will address that in just a couple of weeks too. Is the Bible truly the word of God? I want to show you some things that will shake you up. Yes, this is the Word of God. Don't believe that now they know so much that they found out that the Bible isn't true. Voltaire, the famous French atheist and philosopher, said this years ago. He said the reason that men believe in the Bible is they're not educated. And he said within 50 years of his day, he said man will be educated enough that he will no longer believe the Bible. And he said, within a hundred years, the Bible will have gone out of print because man will be so educated. Well, as you know, Voltaire, who lived in Paris, and if you've ever been there, many of their houses are hundreds of years old. Buildings are hundreds of years old. Voltaire's house is still standing. Did you know that? Guess who bought it? The World Bible Society. <laughs> Guess what they publish in Voltaire's house? The Bible, he said, that wouldn't even be printed anymore. I'm not making that up. God has the last laugh. When I found out about God, he don't care what you write. Write your book to God Delusion. He'll outlast you, I promise you. Sell your few million little copies if you don't realize that the Bible is still the number one bestseller of all times and still sells more copies every year than any other book that is published. So number one, understand, there is a creator and he is the Lord God Almighty. Number two, realize that he made you and you were made for his glory. And number three, believe the Bible that he's given you and don't allow your faith to be shaken by those who claim they know more than God does. And finally, number four, dare to trust him. His promises are real. Yeah, they are. They're real. I'm concluding with this. 
I believe we're coming into a season of the supernatural. I think in America we've had questions for so long that that's one reason we don't see the supernatural as much here. Overseas in some countries that are developing where they don't have Blue Cross, Blue Shield and government programs to help them if they get out of work and people sometimes just believe God to survive. Here we've got all these crutches that we lean on. Are the crutches bad? No. What I'm trying to tell you is if we come to believe God, we won't need to believe in anything else. The problem is we've, t- we've embraced our crutches over the word of God because we've had unresolved questions in our mind. Here's what's about to happen and it's already happening. We're having miracles take place in the church right now. I'm talking about miracles of healing, miracles of finance, other things that are taking place, miracles in lives because I'm teaching you right now, you can believe the word of God. And you know what's ultimately going to happen before it's over? Somebody is going to have God encounters. That's what's about to happen. And I received, I said that, I said that just two Sundays ago, that my ultimate reason for teaching this is if I can remove the doubt and you realize how real God is, then you won't hesitate to put your trust in him and his word and seek after him and worship him. And the result of that is going to be an encounter with God. And one reason we don't see the supernatural and we don't have God encounters more than we do is because we're so hesitant and tentative. We don't know what to believe anymore. And I'm being real honest with you. Do you know that I got an email the very next week from one of the members of our congregation that said, you blew my mind when you said that because I just had an encounter with God the other day. Since I've started preaching this, God has been showing up in people's lives. And it's going to happen to you. Can I hear somebody in the building say amen? Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Amen. The Bible said, they who come to God must believe that he is and that is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I close with this. Years ago, I read about somebody who passed away, patriarch or matriarch, I can't remember which it was, of a family. Let's just say it was the man for the purpose of telling the story, but it may have been the mother of the family rather than the dad. And when it came time for the funeral service, the pastor was sitting in his study and the family had given him the family Bible that was owned by this person. And he was thumbing through it because he was supposed to give the Bible to the family as though it were a gift from the person who had died. Here, carry on the legacy. Pass the torch on. This is your father's Bible. Embrace it. Live by the word as he did. As he was sitting there in the office, as he was scanning through the Bible, he found all of these verses underlined with the letters T period, P period beside them. And he wondered, what does that mean? And he got up and preached his funeral eulogy gave the Bible to the family and said, here, carry on the Christian traditions that your father embraced or loved or the mother, whichever it was that had passed on. Let's just say the dad. And he said, after the service, they were thanking him for the, the eulogy and all the kind things he had to say. And he said, well, I've got a question. He said, in reading through your dad's Bible in the study before the service, I kept finding these verses underlined. And I noticed they were all promises. And out beside them, he had written T period, P period. They said, he asked, what does that mean? The whole family broke into smiles and one of them laughed and said, that's what dad did 
Those letters, T period, P period, meant tried and proven. Tried and proven. Oh, that touches me right now. I feel that in my soul. Because you can put your faith in God's word. Stand with me across the building. Dare to trust him. His presence is real. And his promises are real. And he will both meet you and provide your need. I want you to come join me right now. I want to pray for you. Come and join me. They sang, are y'all going to sing the same song? How, yeah, it's good. They sang in the first service. They're, they're getting ready to sing it again. How great thou art. One of the great songs of the church. What I'm teaching you right now will be able to help you to know this for yourself. How great God is. Oh, I've been through some places in my life. I've been through some dark and lonely places. I am by nature a person of solitude. I used to think I was weird. You may still think I am. Amen. That's okay. My wife probably does too. So. But in the course of my life, I've come to accept that this is the way that I am made. I, I look over, I see Jade. Jade, are you that way, Jade? Most musicians are. And by the way, she is an incredible musician. She and her husband are here, great people of God. Played for the president. I said that the other Sunday. and I just want to, That's how good they are. But listen, I find that most musicians operate at a level when, when I was involved in music. Maybe that's one reason I, I leaned lean this way. James is so personable and outgoing. But James, would you say that by nature you, you're, you have to have solitude? Yeah, me too. If, you, if I don't have a certain amount of time alone with God, I can't function. And I used to think that was strange. And then I read in the Bible about where it says Selah. Selah. What that means is stop and think about it. That's what Selah means. And it refers to the city of Petra, which was a, an oasis in a canyon between Egypt and between Israel. And they would stop there after they'd been through this long desert and struggled to make it. And they would get renewed there. Sometimes you have to have some time alone with God and just see law. Now, why am I saying that? It's because if God is not real to you, you have no way to replenish yourself. You're looking for this to satisfy and that to satisfy and this. And you always are empty because you're always giving out to family and friends and work and all of this is drawing units of energy out of you and where do you go to be replenished? And somebody takes away your faith in God and that was the only thing you had going for you? Makes you believe that we evolved? Mm-mm. That won't work when you go through rough places in life. You're going to need to know that God is there. And I'm here to tell you he's as real as the person standing right next to you. Would you lift your hands with me and I want to pray for you. Oh, I feel your presence in this room, Lord. 
I feel your presence. There's not a one of us that live in this world that doesn't need you. We were made in your image and likeness. Made to know you. Made to worship you. Made to have a relationship with you. And Lord, I'm praying for one thing. Turn our doubts into faith and help us believe you. Not just believe in you, but believe you. Until there are God encounters that take place all over this church where people meet the reality of a living and genuine God. Because everything that I read about in the Bible leads me to believe it's you seeking us rather than us seeking you. If there's somebody in this building that doesn't know you right now, save them. Let them know they can put their trust in you. That God is not the figment of their imagination, not a delusion like Richard Dawkins said. There's somebody that needs a miracle. Help us to understand your word meant everything that is written in it. Every promise is real. And for those of us who've been around a little while, they've been tried and proven. Like the old patriarch wrote in his Bible, tried and proven. You're so great. You're so great. Would you just... feel the presence of God so strong here right now. Would you just lift your hands with me and, and say God you're great. You're great. Sing it Tracy. My Savior come to I've got to go to the other service, but with your eyes.